Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Welcome to another episode of Brands and Barbed Wire. Today we get the opportunity to visit with a gentleman whose name is synonymous with Angus Cattle. He's made a career and life out of promoting Angus Cattle and his excitement and passion for the breed is contagious. I think you'll enjoy hearing from Mr. Angus himself, Tom Burke. Tom, thanks for joining us today on Brands and Barbed Wire. I tell you what, I'm more excited than you are to be on Brands and Barbed Wire. <laughs> Tom, I don't know about that, but uh, but we'll see. Um, I'm looking forward to it for sure. So, Tom, for the handful of listeners we might have that don't know who Tom Burke is, why don't you give us a little uh, a little bit about yourself and and where you're from, and and introduce yourself to some of our uh, some of our listeners. I'll be happy to. Well, my name is Tom Burke. I work at the American Angus Hall of Fame in Smithville, Missouri. I was born uh, about uh, 79 years ago in uh, Blooming Prairie, Minnesota on a family farm. My father was a farmer. My grandfather was a farmer. My great-grandfather was a farmer. And they all raised Angus cattle. So I came to it uh, pretty much by birth. And I've always been a real Angus enthusiast all my life. And then as a youngster, of course, like anyone else, I was involved in 4-H and FFA. And then I was a charter member and the first president of the Minnesota Junior Angus Association. And as a young kid, uh, you know, we uh, showed cattle at the major state fairs in Iowa and Minnesota, uh, South Dakota, and uh, Wisconsin. And then uh, as I advanced in years, uh, I then joined the team of the Dover's Journal. And I was a fieldman in the 10 southeastern states. Then uh, about 55 years ago, I became acquainted with a person by the name of J.B. McCorkle. He was the first uh, Angus sale manager in the Angus breed. And uh, I went to work for him in uh, 1968. And I worked for him uh, for five years, and then he passed away. And then I took on the sale management business by myself. So over the years, uh, I've been uh, what I call a devout uh, Angus enthusiast. Annually, I manage about 150 to 175 Angus sales a year. I work here with Carter Ward and Kurt Schaaf, and uh, we uh, really enjoy what we do. We've managed sales in 47 states, eight provinces of Canada, in Scotland and uh, Mexico, and, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, the only sale I really don't like is one I have to read about. <laughs> so you don't like is one you have to read about. I like that. So you've managed in 47 states. Have you, have you been to all 50 or, or I've been to right? all 50 states. I assume that was probably right. I've looked at Angus in all 50 states, including Alaska. Oh, wow. So there's Angus cattle in Alaska. Yeah. There's only two herds. Wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. So let's let's go back and and unpack a little bit of of that history, Tom. Um, so you say your your father, your your grandfather, and did you say great grandfather also had Angus cattle? 
Yes, they they had the commercial Angus cattle, and my father was a, a cattle feeder of Angus steers. Really, and so that's that is that how he made his living feeding feeding Angus cattle. Yes, and he was also a, a grain farmer, and uh, we had a diversified farm. And so, um, so you grew up in 4-H and and showed, and and then um, went to work for Drovers. What would that job have entailed back then, uh, working for Drovers? Oh, it was a real fun job. I started there when as soon as I got out of service, I was I was in the service for two years. And out of service, I had the ten southeastern states. So that meant that I would go out and work the sales, sold advertising, covered shows, and basically stayed in touch with. Uh, seed stock producers in the 10 southeastern states uh, that I represented in behalf of the Dover's Journal. And what branch of the service were you in, Tom? I was in the, I was in the Army. So um, so 10 southeastern states and, and Dover's, uh, how, gosh, how, how long has Dover's been um, a magazine and how long would they have been published before you even started with them, you know? Well, I think they, I think they've been, the Dover's has been around uh, 70 or 80 years. It's one of the oldest livestock publications you see. Back when I first started, it came out daily. Oh, wow. Every day, five days a week, uh, Dover's Journal would come out. And then it, as time passed on, it went to a weekly uh, publication. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't know that. What the... Of course, it had all the news in, see, and of course, that was pre, uh, uh, pre-internet and all the things we have today. So it was a pretty popular publication to keep people abreast of what was happening. So tell us about um, that first sale management group and, and what that sort of entailed and, and why you became interested in that portion of, of the business. And, and maybe even for our listeners, what what does a sale manager do? I think there there may be some folks out here that, that don't know what a sale manager does and, and how that's evolved over your career as well. Well, I was very happy working for the Dover's Journal. And then J.B. McCorkle, who was a pioneer uh, Angus sale manager, approached me about coming to work for him. And I probably was a little reluctant at first. But as I thought about it, I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity and so we worked out an agreement and uh, I joined his team and that meant that I, I was living in the Southeast, but then I had to move to Kansas City because uh, that's where his office was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really did enjoy working for him because I learned a lot uh, about marketing. And, uh, you know, the basic job as a sale manager is to guide a breeder through uh, uh, his marketing. And so... Basically, it means that you go out and analyze and you have to be brutally honest. Are you ready or are you not ready to have this first production sale? Are you willing to sell some things that you want to keep? And kind of the theme is uh, don't sell anything that you yourself wouldn't want to buy. That's a pretty good rule if you want to have a successful sale. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, of course, then you get the catalog and the advertising. You promote the product. And then you're there the day before to get prepared for the sale, conduct the sale on sale day, do everything you can to have potential buyers or bidders on the seats or represent them. So it's a, it's a pretty big task. Uh, you, you're pretty darn busy uh, covering all the bases. Yeah, I'd say now with the 150 to 175 sales, that keeps you pretty busy year round, doesn't it? I work at it every day. Uh, uh, last year I was away from home 341 nights. So I was pounding the highway and uh, doing everything I could to make things happen. 
Yeah, I can imagine. So how many sales would you you have done when you first started under uh, Mr. McCorkle? Well, I hadn't done any. I mean, I was I was brand new on the block. Uh, he, that, that was my first uh, experience into basically sale management. And since that time, I've been very fortunate because I've had an opportunity to manage over 10,000 Angus sales. Wow. 10,000 Angus sales in your career. And so when did you, when did you sort of take over that business and start your own, I guess? And, and was it called? In 1972, uh, Mm -hmm. in November of 1972, uh, J.B. McCorkle passed away. Okay. And then uh, I was kind of the lone survivor because Mm -hmm. there was just the two of us. And, uh, he used to always be worried, uh, what he, what I do if he ever uh, left this earth. But anyway, I dug in and took over. It's been a, it's been fun. It's been enjoyable, and uh, I really did enjoy working for him because he laid the groundwork for a lot of things that I learned, and uh, I was able to make it work because of the knowledge that he shared with me. Yeah. So why was he worried about uh, what would happen if he left the Earth? Well, that was just kind of his way. He kind of <laughs> looked at me once in a while and say, "Tom, I don't know what's going to happen when I'm not here." <laughs> that's good so was it was it called american angus hall of fame then or or did you know it was, was called your name we started out it was called mccorkle angus sales ah, okay and then when i took it over i renamed it the american angus hall of fame okay and how did you come up with that name do you remember well here at the american angus hall of fame we have what i call kind of a museum we have a hundred and ten thousand angus artifacts uh, like mm. we'd have a complete set of Angus journals dating back to the very first one in 1917. We'd have a complete set of Breeders Gazettes. Uh, we have 60,000 Angus sale catalogs. We have every kind of trinket uh, that the Angus breed has ever put out. So we got uh, we have uh, 20,000 pictures on the wall. So it's 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 a place of what I call Angus freedom. Wow, that's interesting. So. And is that located there in Springfield? It's in Smithville, Missouri, which is 15 miles north of downtown Kansas City. Oh, okay. Excellent. 15 miles um, from downtown Kansas City. So I I assume it's open and people can come visit that? Yeah, we have a lot of visitors. Uh, uh, We always, somebody's always dropping by to see us. And and as I always say, we have have, uh, free parking. We have uh, free admittance, and we have a meal if we know you're coming. And so uh, 110,000 artifacts. And so I think um, what is some what are some of the most famous ones I guess you'd have in there, Tom? Well, you mean uh, we, have, uh, we have 50 head mounts of some of the most famous Angus cattle in the breed. We have the oldest seed stock mountain, uh, mount, mount in the world, Rover of Powery. I got him in Scotland. He was born in 1883, and we have his head mount here. And when I uh, saw him, I was over in Scotland on the North Sea, and he, was, he, he wasn't even inside. He was on an overhang of an outside barn. He, he'd been hanging there for 100 years. Well, you know, he looked a little bit tattered, but I said, you know, he needs U.S. citizenship. <laughs> so I was able to work out a deal to bring him to the United States I had to send him to a taxidermist to get him a little tuned up, and now he's happier than he's ever been. And then we have, you know, we have other ones, like we have uh, early history, like uh, Conan of Y and Sky High and Sarah Patriot and P.S. Power Play. 
We have Mr. Angus here, Premier Independence. We have EXT's mother. We have the Sitz Everald in 1905 and 1137. We have 598, Lucy's boy. Uh, we have Whitestone uh, Widespread. We have Future Direction, Emblazon, uh, Famous New Day, uh, 004, uh, Final Answer, Net Worth, The Resource, Bismarck, uh, and we got more to come. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So how do you go about acquiring uh, these different mounts? And then is there, a, is there a, do you have a criteria for it or do you, do you sort Well, of... I just kind of, as, as I travel about and I see one that has made a mark, in the Angus breed, in my judgment, then mm -hmm. I start asking, would it be possible to get his head mount for the American Angus Hall of Fame? <laughs> and most people are very helpful to me. I got to say that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we send them to a taxidermist close by wherever they may pass on. And then, of course, we get them here at the American Angus Hall of Fame and put them up on the wall. So are, are there any of them that, um, that you're particularly proud of or, or that maybe our listeners um, would like to know a little more about? Well, you know, they're kind of like children. They're, uh, they're all special to me. Right. You know, I, 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 I love them all. Uh, I mean, because we've been very fortunate in getting uh, some of the very, very best ones in the Angus breed. And so uh, I'm pretty excited about, uh, about them all and just honored to have them. You know, uh, like one like one bull I have here, uh, uh, I owned an interest in him. And when he passed away, he died at Genix in Sean Johnson. Well, they were in a hurry when he uh, died, and so they buried him. They forgot that I was supposed to get his head. So they had to exhume him and bring him back out of the earth and get oh, his wow. head and then bury the rest of him. So that's kind of a little interesting story about one of the bulls here at the Hall of Fame. That's interesting. So they resurrected him. Was it how many days? How many days? It wasn't. He'd three, only was he'd only been dead about two days, and so we were able to get his head and got it looking really good. So things are things are. Uh, uh, I'm real proud of these head mounts we have. Yeah, I bet that's interesting to see too. So Tom, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of your history and and. Um, and your business as far as, you know, just you've been doing it for a long time and, and maybe some of the uh, unique um, stories or, or opportunities that you've had throughout your career. I mean, what, what, if I ask you to sort of go back and remember, you know, one of those historic events or, or something like that, what, what's kind of the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I don't want to sound boastful, but, uh, you know, if, if you ask me a direct question, Probably the, the highlight of my life as far as being an Angus sale manager was having these sales to do. And then when I was inducted into the Saddle and Sirloin Portrait Gallery in Louisville, Kentucky in 2017, uh, that was a real highlight in my life. I had an opportunity to serve on the board of directors of the American Angus Association. And uh, I've been chairman of the All-American Angus Breeders Futurity for over uh, 50 years. Wow. So I've had a lot of things uh, happen to me and I've been, and I've had an opportunity to visit every continent and view Angus cattle. And the thing that I'm always so pleased about, and I think I can say this with great confidence that the best Angus breeders and the best Angus cattle without question are in the United States of America. 
because I tell you what, we we, we got we've got the uh, formula, we've got the performance, and the cattle that we breed in this country are really superior. You can go to any uh, any continent and see Angus cattle, and usually when you analyze their pedigrees, you'll find that they're 50 to 80 percent U.S. bred. Now that's not the case 100 percent of the time. But I'd say 80% of the time, you'll find U.S. blood lurking in the pedigrees. That's interesting. I think uh, I think that's uh, that's a, a you know sort of a testament to to the United States and the and the Angus breed over here and, and the producers. I mean, all the breeders that um, that that have made those cattle and 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 made them better. And I think that's uh, that's something we tend to do here in the United States. And we've had you know, some Angus breeders on our podcast and, and we'll continue to have those. Um, so Tom, let's back up a second. And, and you mentioned the saddle and sirloin and how that, uh, that was one of your highlights. And that's a pretty prestigious, uh, award and, and pretty prestigious, um, a group. Tell our listeners a little more about that and, and what, what goes into that and, and why that's so prestigious. Cause I think there's a lot of people that maybe, don't know what that is or or maybe haven't uh haven't heard about it so can you tell us a little more about that well the saddle and sirloin uh, was established in 1903 at the international livestock show in chicago and the portraits each year they hung up portraits of various stockmen who had excelled in the livestock industry and uh, it continues yet today in 1971 the chicago stockyards closed and in 1975, the internet last international livestock show was held. Of course, it started in 1900 in Chicago at the stockyards. So the first years, uh, up through 1975, the uh, portraits were uh, presented at the international livestock show. And then the, after that closed, it, they then moved to the Kentucky Fair and Exposition Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And over those years, there's been over 300 people that have been inducted into the Saddle and Sirloin Portrait Gallery. Right now, there's one per year. I happen to be the nominee and inductee in 2017. And uh, it is, it's something special. You're, you're nominated by your peers, and then letters are uh, offered in your behalf, and then a committee votes whether you are going to get in or not. And I was very fortunate because I got in my first year of eligibility, and I was really honored and and humbled uh, by being inducted into the Saddle and Sirloin. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty neat and pretty pretty prestigious group and, and award. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. So, Tom, how has sale management changed throughout your career? you know, what was it like early on and, and how has it changed and evolved uh, throughout your career? Well, I've been a sale manager for 55 years and I'm pleased to say that I've been a sale manager longer than anyone in the history of the Angus breed. And uh, in the Angus breed in the United States of America, last year we registered 310,000 head of Angus cattle. That's more than all other beef breeds combined in the U.S., and that's more than all other Angus associations in the world. 
So the American Angus Association is the largest register of beef cattle in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first started, it was, it was a different ball game. Uh, it was total evaluation on appearance. That mm-hmm. was, you know, you, you looked at them and you declared them great or not great. And uh, then as time went in, uh, went on, the American Angus Association started the AHIR program, which evaluated, you know, that the first step of performance was probably in the late 60s when we'd go to field days and people would talk. I'd go with my father and people would talk about performance. And the chatter then was the percentage of calf crop you had. That was kind of the first evaluation. And then people started classifying their cattle. The association had four classifiers that would come to your farm and they would classify your cattle. Well, this all kind of went out the door. And then the next thing that happened, we started evaluating what did they weigh at weaning? What did they weigh at yearling? And what did they weigh at birth? So that was the next thing that came along. And then we got into what I call the EBVs, estimated breeding values. And then as we journeyed on, we went to EPDs, and then we journeyed on to genomics. So there was always, uh, there's always something happening. I, I kind of like to say this. One of the things that makes the Angus breed so interesting today, it is built on shifting sand. Because at every minute, there's something different happening someplace somewhere. So if, if you're not in for some adventure and some excitement, the Angus breed not, may not be for you because there's always something exciting happening in the Angus breed. And uh, the, now we're in what I call a kind of a combination of evaluating cattle visually and evaluating them on performance and genomics. So we've got all kinds of excitement going on in the industry. Yeah, probably more tools today to to help evaluate than than we've ever had. But um, but I know you you really track and and stay on sort of Angus pedigrees and cow families and 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 tell people maybe why why that is and why that's important. Well, uh, this year right now we're celebrating the fact that Angus cattle have been in the United States of America for 148 years. And I'm a real believer in Angus cow families uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I think they breed. So, uh, so I think a pedigree can talk to you if you let it, because uh, uh, you can, there's a lot of great cows and these cows that have really been great in the breed continue to surface and surface and surface. And in the Angus breed, we, we, we kind of fall into elements. We've got a group of breeders that enjoy producing Angus cattle because they can sell bulls. We got a group that like to produce show heifers to sell to junior members because they've been successful at that. We got a group that uh, like to produce the cattle strictly on numbers and genomics. And, uh, you know, I, I prescribe to the situation, raise whatever you like and you can sell to advantage. And I was, I'm a strong believer in, uh, in uh, not stereotyping uh, what you're going to raise, but raise what you like and what you can market effectively. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. And so, um, as we look at the, at the cattle business and, and, and demographic in the United States, even though American Angus registers 310,000, if you look around at, at the other breed associations that, that have, have evolved and, and, 
changed their cattle and made them black. And Angus has been a big part of that too. And, and there's so many, uh, breeds out there that, that register, um, cattle that have a lot of Angus in their pedigrees. And, and as we look at the commercial cow herd, I mean, it's 70, 80% uh, Angus influence now, I would say at least. And, and it really is a breed that dominates the United States. And, and maybe tell some of our listeners why you think the, uh, the Angus breed is so dominant. What are those, what are those traits that, that commercial guys look for? And, and, and what is um, the success behind Angus and, and their domination in this, in this country and really starting to, to happen around the world? Well, I do believe this. I think that when you buy an Angus bull, you know what you're going to get. If you study his performance and his pedigree, you're going to have a pretty good idea how he's going to sire. To give you a little background, we're the only association in the world, an Angus association, that doesn't recognize Red Angus. We expelled them in 1917. Up until 1917, we did record them. But in 1917, they left our herd book. So we've been strictly black, as I call it, Aberdeen Angus. And I think one of the reasons that, uh, that uh, Angus have been so popular is the end product. I mean, there's got somehow dollars and cents have got to enter into this somewhere, someplace. And I think when you use an Angus bull, you get those very good placement heifers. You get you get uh, cattle with carcass value, and that's why uh, we've been so successful with certified Angus beef. Last year, we had the good fortune to sell over a billion pounds. In fact, a billion two hundred fifty million pounds of certified Angus beef in the fifty-one countries around the world. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Angus bulls are so popular. And when these feeder calves come into the market from commercial producers. Uh, there's a demand for them, and uh, if you and if you want to buy a bull today in the Angus breed that'll give you more milk, we've got him. If you want one with more growth, we've got him. If you want to tone him down a little bit in size and frame, we've got that. So we're kind of called an Angus supermarket. Uh, you tell us uh, what you want, and uh, we got it on the shelves. Yeah, that's I I would agree with that and. And, you know, what's remarkable to me about the, the, the 1 billion pounds of, of CAB is, is that's not just black cattle. That is, that's, that's cattle that have to meet those CAB standards in order to qualify. So, you know, there's lots and lots of other cattle out there that are, that are black hided, but to really meet that CAB standard, I mean, and, and then to produce a billion pounds of it, I mean, that's amazing. We had uh, Dr. Larry Cora on a few episodes ago, Tom, and he talked about the acceptance rate when they first started was in the teens and it's up to 38% now. And I think that's just, um, or in, in the upper thirties at least. And, and I think that's remarkable how, how we've improved the cattle and, and, and set a target and, uh, and continue to push through that. So, um, so yeah, I so, agree, Jim, it's a testament to our breeders because they've been very conscious about making Angus cattle better. Like I said earlier, the best Angus cattle and the best breeders are in the United States of America. Now I'll have to admit that our Canadian brothers and our Argentine brothers are pushing us a little bit, but we're, we're still speeding down the highway. 
where do you think this Angus breed is going to go? And, and, uh, you know, is is a little bit like, uh, what's the, the old Austin powers, um, movies, you know, is, is, is Angus excelling towards world domination? Uh, I mean, we're pretty close to it now. I mean, where do you think this, this is going to go and what do you see as, as the future for the Angus breed? Well, I don't know if this term uh, world domination, because I think anybody that has a seed stock producer is proud of the breed they have. So we have to, we have to respect that. But I think speaking as an Angus breeder myself and a promoter of the breed, I think as we look, where are we going from here? And my opinion is that we're going to continue to increase our market share as long as we continue to improve our product. And I think everybody is committed to making Angus cattle better. The other thing I think that really gives us an upturn is the fact that we've got a real good, what I call army of youth that are behind the next generation coming up. We're going to have the National Junior Show here in Kansas City, and we've got 1,800 head of Angus cattle entered in that event. And these young people, I think we've got to really focus and we've got to give them all the attention we possibly can and all the help we can, because these are the people that are going to be driving the train down in the years ahead. And I think that we've really got an excellent group of young people that are involved in the industry. A lot of these people are in their third and fourth generations of being involved in the Angus breed. So I'm really conscious and I'm really proud of that because I, I feel that the future of the Angus breed is in solid and firm hands as we go forth. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I was talking in jest earlier, but I, I really believe that, you know, the United States will, will continue to probably own that quality market. And, and as people, and, and Dr. Cora addressed it, as people become more affluent and, and want higher quality, uh, beef, you know, that's going to continue to drive that demand. And, and, you know, at least at this point, the, the U S market's responding to it. And, and I don't know where the saturation point will get to, but, but at least at this point, it, it doesn't seem like there's a, there's a saturation point in, 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 uh, in front of us. So what's next for, for Tom Burke? I mean, you're, you're, well, I, I, I just want to throw this in for just a minute. Sure. I think one of the reasons that uh, the Angus breed has done so well is because it tastes good. Mm. I was just in a couple of international countries here this past week, and I had beef that was raised in those countries. And I tell you what, I was amazed how tough and tasteless it was. And I think that's what, what makes why American beef is so popular, because mm. it's got that taste factor. When you have a, a good steak or a prime rib or a hamburger, I tell you, when you get done with it, you say, boy, wasn't that good? <laughs> and uh, I think that's what really gives us a leg up because American beef is safe and it's tasty. Yep, I would agree. So, so Tom, tell us sort of what um, what's next for Tom Burke. I think you said you're, did you say you're 79 and you're still going strong? I mean, what's what's kind of in the future for Tom? Well, I tell you in the future for Tom is the same as it has been for the past 78 years. I'm going to continue to love and 
push the Angus breed. I'm going to continue to manage sales. I have no plans for retirement, and I'm going to uh, stick right with my job as a, a daily basis. I travel 341 nights a year last year, and I hope to do the same again this year. And uh, I don't plan to let up one single bit. <laughs> well, you sure don't sound like it. Um, that's great, and and uh, we're looking forward to to seeing you in some of those travels, and and uh, and and wish you the best of luck. If if someone wanted to find out more about uh, the American Angus Hall of Fame, Tom Burke, how would they go about doing that? Well, first of all, I'd like to every, invite everybody to come and visit the American Angus Hall of Fame here in Smithville, Missouri. Because, as I said before, we have the largest collection of Angus history in the world. And I, I've got one office. I say, if you ask a question and I can't find the answer, well, then I don't think you could find the answer. Because I've got, I've got every reference book there's ever been written about Angus cattle since day one. We have a complete set of herd books. We have every Angus journal. We have all the state publications and directories. I keep everything. And so I think that uh, if you come to visit here, I think you'd enjoy coming. And uh, as far as my, the plans for the future is just keep moving forward and uh, being active on a daily, daily basis. You know, I try to go to uh, 20 state fairs a year. I go to all the major Angus shows and uh, just say I try to stay visible and active in the angus breed so tom do you, do you have a website and and uh is yes we wanna... have a we have a website it's uh it's uh the american angus hall of fame and uh we uh probably don't keep it up as probably as good as we should but uh, we do have one and we list all of our sales and and all those things so we do have a website great and so uh, 150 sales. I'm sure uh, our listeners could find you at, at, at one of those. Uh, more information on your website. So, but it sounds like a um, a visit to the American Angus Hall of Fame is is a must uh, for anybody who has interest in in Angus cattle. So, well, we'd be excited to have you come by and see us. And uh, I tell you what, uh, we also have a grotto with a lot of Angus rocks in the yard that uh, express thoughts about Angus cattle. We have a graveyard with the uh, Angus uh, mon mounts in it. So we've got all kinds of things uh, to look at and to uh, move your mind. Well, that sounds great. Well, Tom, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate you coming on Brands and Barbed Wire and, and sharing your putt passion and your love for, for the Angus breed with our listeners and, and really appreciate that and wish you the best of luck in your, in your travels and, uh, and your continued career. I want to say thanks for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege, and I really want to say a special thanks for including me in this very special broadcast. Thanks, Tom. We appreciate it, and uh, good luck. For our producer, Carlos Cheraboga, I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless, and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbwire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbwire.
Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by Jmart Genetics, cattle made to grow and grade. The annual Quality Over Quantity Bull and Heifer Sale will be held October 15th. Visit jmartgenetics.com for more information.